You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I know you think they serve as a distraction for you. Trust me, they do the same for me. So let's get going. Today, I have Doug Williams on to discuss the impact of Bobby Mitchell's life and more. We discussed Dwayne Haskins and Ruben Foster, among others. And you'll see why it was important to keep Doug around in his role as a liaison between the players and the coaches. And you'll get a good sense after I have him on here. As a reminder, don't forget, you can read me on ESPN.com. I'll have a story soon based on what we heard from all the new defensive players. They keep pointing to one big reason why they like this defense. And yeah, the possible addition of Chase Young doesn't hurt either. And before I get to my conversation with Doug Williams, I wanted to go over a couple nuggets of information I think you need to know and then stick around for the post-Williams portion. I'm trying to inject some positivity here with all that's going on. Anyway, the Nuggets. Number one, I think I covered this a little bit last week, but I'll do so again because D'Angelo Hall's comments about Dwayne Haskins raised a bit of commotion. Doug and I discussed this, but after they signed um, Kyle Allen, I was told they have viewed him as much as a reliable backup, a guy who knew the offense and a reliable backup. Yes, he will compete because everybody does, and if Haskins doesn't take care of his business, then that's what the backup is there for, especially one that knows the offense in an unprecedented unprecedented situation. And I think because of that situation, before we go any further with what Haskins may or may not do, I really want to see what he does when he comes to camp. We will not have seen him for around six months. Is it possible that Allen emerges? Sure, anything is. But I even heard about how he might be, how Haskins, for example, might be turned off by hard coaching. I think that's what somebody had said. I think it's going to be the opposite. When he went to Ohio State, I'd heard there was some concern by people who knew him about how he'd handle Urban Meyer. Haskins did pretty well. Just look at his one season where he started for Meyer. I highly doubt that Rivera will be harder on Haskins than Meyer ever was or could be. And especially playing at a place like Ohio State where your only job is to win every single game. And I think the other thing to remember with Haskins is a lot of the opinions are being formed based on what he did during the season and at the end of the season. He's taking that and working on stuff throughout this offseason. We're not seeing any of that stuff. That's why I think it's important before you really go before you go overboard on any assumptions about what he is or based on the last couple games, you got to see that. And I, and I mean that in a, in a way that is probably good for him. I, I want to see that because I've heard the stuff that he's doing and I want to see how it translates on the field. And again, you know, could anything, anything can happen, but they're going into camp with Haskins as a starter. Number two, I mentioned last time about the defensive versatility, and I wanted to explain just a bit more here. Let's start with the linebackers where, yes, Thomas Davis is a weak side guy. However, 
He can also play in the middle if necessary. And if Reuben Foster is healthy, and we still don't know the true time, but timetable, just the hopeful one, then you can get them both on the field. Foster could play inside, yeah, but that's not where he'd fit best because if you're playing inside, you're responsible for calling the signals. That was not a strength of his in San Francisco, so I view him as much as a weak side guy. Cole Holcomb could play any of the linebacker spots. So all that provides for options within the defense, and I didn't even mention Bostic, John Bostic and Sean Deion Hamilton. Those guys probably more just inside, but the other ones give you versatility. And then in the secondary, where they get that versatility is with Kendall Fuller because he could line up as a free safety in your base defense, and they could use him then in the slot in their sub packages. It just gives you options. If Sean Davis wins the free safety job, they could use Fuller at either the either one of the outside corner spots and then in the slot in a sub package. They have options outside with Ron Darby, Fabian Moreau, Jimmy Moreland. It's good to have options. They need them to be good options. And sometimes you have, if you have too many of something, it's because you don't have what you need to be the guys. But I do think they have options. And within that, they hope to have more versatility. And that is a could be a good thing, but let's see. Three, finally, on the draft. And this is a short one. The Redskins board is set. All that's going to happen over the next few weeks will be some tinkering based on conversations that the front office has with the coaches and how they view things. And yes, I still believe it'll be Chase Young. Now, on to my conversation with Doug Williams. Now I am joined by the Redskins Senior Vice President of Player Development, Doug Williams, Redskins legend, and wanted to talk to him, first of all, about a sad topic, the passing of Redskins great, NFL great, Bobby Mitchell. And Doug, I appreciate you coming on. And what was, what was Bobby's impact on you? Wow, that's, that's interesting, John, because, you know, being in Tampa for five years and being in the USFL for two, and in 86, I got a chance to walk in the building at Redskin Park. Uh, we was in Herndon at the time. And the first person I walked into was, was Charlie Taylor. Oh, yeah. Then they said, we're like, wow, man, Charlie Taylor. You know, coaching the receivers. And then it went upstairs, and you look over to the left. There's a, there's a room up there with the assistant general manager and his, and his Bobby Mitchell. Yeah. And, and you and I both, in 1986, for a black man to be the assistant general manager of an NFL franchise, that was big, especially for a young yep. black man. Yep. And to know that you can go in there and sit down and talk to him. And I got a chance to go to his office, sit down and talk to him. And uh, that's when we hit it off because Bobby being from Arkansas, I didn't know he was from Arkansas until I went in there and we got to talking. And, and he told me, he said, I knew you went to Grambling. He said, I went to Grambling for a day or so. I said, you ain't go to He said, yeah. He said, but when I got to Grambling, it was so many guys like me, like Bobby Mitchell, I left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from that day on, him and I hit it off, man, and we forged a pretty good uh, relationship. And, um, you know, for those years, those four years that I spent there with Bobby, uh, I learned so much from a, from a humility standpoint, um, how to deal with things that you got no control over, because that's, that's who Bobby was. And people always talk about pioneers and talk about me uh, being the first black quarterback playing the Super Bowl. That's, that's one thing. But, but I had people like James Harris and Marlon Briscoe 
that, that come before me at least have an opportunity to play. But for Bobby Mitchell to walk in the dressing room for the Washington Redskins in 1962 as the only man of color on that football team had to be a little more devastating than what I had to go through. So when I think about what he had to go through and you sit there and talk to him, you know, he never talked negative about what he had to go through. He just talked about the circumstances, what he had to deal with and how he overcame them. And, you know, when he was down, you know, he didn't, he didn't give up. And, and it helped me in 1987. Bobby, Bobby really helped me because when things weren't going the way that I thought they should have been gone, you know, you go and say with Bobby, and he'll let you understand that they might not be going the way you want them at this time, but just keep going forward, and you never know what's going to happen. And the same thing, you know, when I look think about Bobby now, being assistant general manager, I'm sure, and I do, I do know that, you know, he wanted to be the general manager, and that didn't happen, you know. And I had a lot of people call me and talk about, you know, he got passed over. But the thing about Bobby, you wouldn't have known it from that standpoint because he still was humble. Uh, he always talked about it was out of his hand and he didn't cut his face, his nose off to spite his face. Like one reporter asked me today is, why didn't Bobby Mitchell take his talent and walk out the door? And I had to laugh at it because at, this, at, at that time, Bobby Mitchell was in a position that no other black man was in. So if he takes his talent and walk out the door, what other door was he going in? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, That's true. So he, he was humble enough to understand what he was dealing with. And, and he helped guys like myself and all the other guys, Gary Clark, and, and I was talking about that yesterday, man, the impact that, that Bobby had on us because of what he had did on the field. Right. But his biggest impact to us at that time, the fact that he wasn't on the field, he wasn't a player no more, but he was impacted knowing that a black man one day could be sitting in his seat. And, and for that, that was a positive to us. And, and, it's, and that's very true. And I had a chance to meet him. I mean, I was around him for a while and su such a good man and just such a good man. But I can't imagine how hard it was for him to, to approach what he did through his playing career with the grace and dignity he did, knowing, I mean, we wrote, I, I heard the stories and read the stories about things that were said to him when he was on the field, being spit upon at, at Duke Zebert's um, restaurant. How hard do you think it was for him to, to have that approach? Well, I think what helped Bobby more than anything, and, and could be wrong, could be right, but I do believe being growing up in the South, mm -hmm. growing up in Arkansas, uh, knowing what, what had transpired in the Arkansas days while he was there, and, and probably didn't expect no more, no less, but I think, it, it was strengthening him to understand what it was, but to also go out and perform and not worry about what people say. Um, you know, you're talking about the career that he had back-to-back -back 1,300, 1,400 uh, year games, years of receiving, let you know that the most important thing to him was what he did on the field because he couldn't control what, he, what right. happened off the field, what people called him or what, what he, people thought of him, anything like that. That was, that was out of his hands. But for him to still survive and, and, and go out there and perform the way he did, that speaks volume of the character and, and, and the passion that he had for what he was doing. And how much, because you had to go through your own thing before you even got to the NFL. So could you, how much could you, I mean, obviously you're going to relate at a certain level, but could you even relate to what he went through at all? I, th I think that's what helped me, John. 
uh, when I got here, especially, you know, uh, well, he wasn't with me in Tampa, but, uh, you know, I was maturing during that time. And I got probably think I grew up a little more when I got here with Bobby, knowing what he had went through. Right. And sat down and, and talk about some of the things and, you know, but he would do it jokingly. That's that's the good part about it. Yeah. He, he didn't talk about it in a vicious way. Like, he was just pissed off about it. He would be laughing and joking about some of the things that happened to him. So, you know, you look at him and say, man, he went through all this, but he got a smile on his face. And, and that was the humility in him. And, and, you know, I think the combination of him and his wife, Gwen, yeah. uh, helped him through all the tough times. Because I can imagine. Um, you know, once he wasn't given the opportunity to be German, what it was like for him to drive home every day, what was on his mind and getting home, talking to his wife and driving back the next morning to be able to come in that building and still be the same Bobby Mitchell. Right. With all the guys. Now, to me, when you sit back and look at it, at that time, you, you don't feel it. But now, you know, you've gotten older, you're not in the league anymore. You think about some of the things he went through. You wonder how tough it really was for Bobby during that time. But you know, it's funny because you bring up that he would talk about the stories and laugh. It almost seems like he knew he got the last laugh because they didn't beat him. He emerged. He had a great career, Hall of Famer, you know, the, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, that all the stuff he did there, and the assistant general manager. He got that last laugh over anybody who tried to knock him down. Well, I, I would say so, too, because, you know what, I haven't met any individual uh, that would say anything that it, if it wasn't positive about Bobby Mitchell. Right. And, you know, it, it's so unfortunate because yesterday, Brig Owens, Brig Owens called me yesterday as I was sitting there watching television. We was talking, and he said he had spoken to Bobby Mitchell a few days earlier, and Bobby said, have you talked to Doug? And I told him, I said, you know what, I'm going to call Bobby tomorrow, which is today. Today is tomorrow. And an hour or so later, uh, Briggs called me and told me, uh, you know, the news that, that Bobby had passed. It was almost like surreal, like, that can't happen. I just told him I'm gonna call him tomorrow, right. you know? And uh, it, it kind of put life in perspective about tomorrow. It ain't promised to you, man. And uh, for me not to have opportunity to call him today, you know, it seemed like something was taken away because I just told, Briggs, and I'm going to call him tomorrow. Right. That is, when was the last time you had talked to him? I talked to Gwen a little over a month ago. I didn't talk to him. Um, he was asleep at that time when I called, but go talk to Gwen a little bit and just told her to let him know that I had given him a call. But uh, before that time, it's probably month, two, two months, maybe, uh, two and a half months since the last time I had a chance to speak to Bob. It is, you know, it's funny because I know that the assistant general manager thing did bother him. Because, you know, it's also like in this, you look at this day and age, he was an assistant GM on a super multi, multiple Super Bowl winning franchise. To not get another one is just like you look back and it's just, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of almost like the same situation in a way. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, I, you know, I took notes from Bobby. What you going to do? You, you got to roll the punches and be the best that you can be, whatever you're doing. And, and that's where I am right now, John. Yeah. It's, uh, my job is to deal with the players, uh, to make sure that they're in a good space, give them opportunity to get someone in mind, which, you know, I was doing that anyway. So right. but now that's my job, based along with Malcolm. And, um, you know, I'm not going to be the dead horse. If, if this is what the organization needs for me, for us to be successful, 
That's, that's who I am. Do you, when you're, because knowing you too, this is, this is who you are as well. But how much of that do you look back and what, you know, maybe those talks with Bobby, how much of that, did that help you evolve in some of that thinking? Or do you think that this is just who you are anyway? No, I, I think it's, it's part of me, but I also think too, you know, when, when, when things happened this year, when, when my position was changed, you know, I immediately thought about Bobby, don't get me wrong. And, and I mean, me and Bobby used to talk about the opportunity that might come and stuff like that. But uh, when it didn't happen, uh, I took a page from Bobby. You got to be humble and, and deal with what is hand and, 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 and use the best hand that you have to play. Don't, don't cut your nose off spite your face because, you know, I understand walking in that building every morning and some of the players that I have a relationship with, you know, I can feel that they like the fact of me being around. And I like the fact of being around them. And I'm always going to be always going to be who I am. You know, I'm not going to turn my blind eye, don't watch football, don't watch the guys, see how they perform. I'm just not going to get out of my lane and let somebody ask me. And the thing about Ron, and that Ron has proven uh, over the last few weeks, that if there's a player that he wants to know something about him and wants to find out what I think about it, you know, he he don't hesitate to come in action. That's, that's the good part of mine. Yeah. You got a so lot I'm, of experience. I guess I'm Bobby Mitchell too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, listen, you know, you have a lot of wisdom to share with them, so they'd be silly not to tap into that. With Bobby, did, how much did you ever get a chance to go back and watch any of his games from when he played? Didn't watch the game, but you know what? I turned on the highlights. I, you know, even this morning I got up and <laughs> did some highlights of Bobby Mitchell, man, running out the backfield and then lining up as a wide receiver. He was born too soon, John. Oh, my God. Could you uh, imagine him now? Oh, you know, I, and I said this early today, and unfortunately, I would call him Antonio Brown. Oh. You know, could you, you imagine if he had yeah. gotten the ball? If Bobby, what, 72 balls, had 1,300 yards? Yeah. Could you, could you imagine Bobby? He had 120 catches. Man, and just well, just imagine the matchup nightmare. You could line him up in the backfield. It's almost like he, he'd be Christian McCaffrey's versatility with Antonio you know what, you, you said that. That's who I called him. Oh, really? <laughs> that's, that's exactly who I called him was Christian McCaffrey. That, that's who Bobby was yeah. before, before Christian. And the, and the thing about that, the game hadn't, hadn't even gone to that level of throwing the ball and moving the ball around. He did his and just regular old four yards in a cloud of dust type of football. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because, like, I, having grown up in Cleveland, I always knew about Bobby in relation to the Ernie Davis trade and right. you know, played with Jim Brown and, um, and all that. So he, I always kind of paid attention to the highlights that he had and the runs that he had were so – you, you I don't was, know I how he got – I was watching one today where he went to his left and cut back across the field on his right. Yeah, scored that thing, man, and, and you know I couldn't nothing but smiles come on my face because you know I'm thinking about Bobby looking down on us, you know probably looking down on me and saying, "Boy, what you watching?" <laughs> <laughs> and just watching them run, man. But you know it's funny too because you brought up your current role. What is your? What are you doing now with? Because you uh, you can talk to these guys, you can communicate with them, can't you? I mean, what they're. I, I, I think I do a good job communicating with all the guys. That's the good part about it. And I think a lot of that, John, is as an ex-player, 
And I think some of the time people don't really understand the impact of ex players. Players today like to be around guys that have played the game. It's sure. something about knowing that you you put on that uniform, you put on that jock strap, you sweat it, you blood, you tear it up. And and it, it's something about being around guys. I know when I was a player, wasn't nothing like ex players coming around. Man, when I was in college and 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 Coach used to bring all the Willie Brown, the Buck Buchanan, the Shaq Harris coming back. Man, knowing that you, you see guys that did it at the same place you did it, uh, that's that was off the chart. And I think that's what's good about, you know, the alumni of the Redskins, to have that many guys to come back. Uh, I think it should be more of let the players see guys who did it and did it without all the, the fame and the money that they make, and they did it because of passion. And I think that that goes a long way. How how are you dealing with them now? Because with them, everybody kind of locked at home. What's it been like for you to deal with them? And I mean, is are, are you dealing with guys who are scared, frightened, bored? What is what is it like? It's, it's tough now because you're not around the guys. Right. Some of them don't answer their phone. Let me let me say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're afraid of, but some of them you can call them and you just leave a message saying, "Man, I'm just checking on you, see how you're doing." Uh, how things going, you staying safe, you know, tell them what you know you can't do, what you should be doing. A lot of them don't want to hear. Right. right. When you're in their face, you can, you know, you can call, hey, man, let me holler at you for a minute. And then they'll, they'll stop. But when you call them, they probably look at their phone and say, oh, that's Malcolm, that's Doug. I'm not answering my phone. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a pretty good relationship with Dwayne, though. I'm guessing you've probably talked oh, to him. That's my guy. Dwayne, my guy, man. And, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I keep up with some of the things that are said. And, you know, and, and I know most things are, are media-driven. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that, you know, some of the people throw this thing out there talking about competing. I mean, the good thing about what Ron said, Ron said Dwayne has is a starting quarterback. Right. So my thing, let's live with it. Not, no, right. don't, don't go out there and second-guess what the coach say. Let's just roll with the punches and – we all know we don't control a lot of things that happen, but at this point, Ron say that's who the starting quarterback is, so that's what we should live with. Don't make it a controversy if it's not one. Well, and the other thing is, what I've, and all the stuff I've heard about what he's doing in the offseason has been really good. I mean, I know you know a lot about that. No, we can't you know. When, when, when Ron came in, you know, the guy had been there before all this stuff hit. Dwayne Haskins was – at the facility, getting his treatment from his ankle, and, right. and working every day. I mean, every day. He he knows what he has to do. He understands uh, what's that what's at stake, and and the fact that he wants to be good. That's I think that's the bottom line. He wants right. to be good, and if a guy wants to be good, that means he's gonna pay the price to, to try to get there. Do you see a difference in him in the off season compared to the season, and based on you know just the way he finished and everything? Well, I think the last two games speaks volume for him. Right. Uh, that last game, you know, when he was 12, 15, two TDs, man, he was the guy that, that I'm looking forward to seeing. And uh, I think that in itself propelled him mentally to, to get back to that plateau this coming year. And I think that's where he want to be. And I think, you know, once the coaches get him in there and have an opportunity to sit in the room and put their arms around and let him know what, what they like for him to do. Because talent-wise, we're not going to even argue about his talent. You know, I, I haven't seen very few young guys who can uh, – I'm going to go country with him. I'm going to say chunk the ball like he can chunk. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. 
the ball comes out of his hand the way it's supposed to. Yep. Well, and that's what, like I said, you know, I know he's been working out a lot with, you know, quarterback coaches on, you know, over in, in, the, in the suburbs and everything. And so it just seems like he's got, there's, a, I don't know if it's a different hunger or anything like that, but it seemed like he learned maybe a lot of what he had to do. I think he knows the price that he has to pay. And he understands that this group did not uh, draft him too, which, which don't, you know, don't phase him, I don't think. And that's the good part about it. They didn't, don't, didn't draft him, but they understand that the guy got talent. And, and Ron has made it known that uh, as, as of now, he is our starting quarterback. And that's what we have to live with. I also like that he's always sought you out for guidance. You know, I know that's my guy, was- man. That's, that's my guy, and I appreciate it. Um, the, you know, being who he is, and he's not as cocky as people might think. He's one of the most humble young guys you ever want to be around. Yeah, I always thought like he was a young 22-year-old kid and he just had to learn some things, but not certainly not he's certainly not a bad kid at all. I you well, know, he was always a good kid to deal with. He's young. He's right, exactly. He's 22. 20, 22 years old. Yep. And and he has to grow in, in his position. You know, he didn't play as much football as some rookies play. And so let let the kid grow up and I'm looking forward to it myself. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a different role to sit back and just watch him grow. And, uh, you know, I'm that for him. When, when he want to pick up the telephone or he want to come down to my office, it ain't going to never be close to him. How often do you talk to him? I text him. You know, them young folks like text. <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> every time I text him, John, he hit me back. I, I just ask him, you know, stay strong, stay out of harm's way, ask him how he's doing. And it, when he, when he responds, it ain't no bother. I'm doing all right. As always, how you doing? <laughs> no, that's that's a nice thing. Last guy, yeah. I appreciate you joining me. Ruben Foster is a guy I get a lot of questions about, and I know he's someone you talk to a lot as well. Exactly. So what? Man, what, what you... He called. He called me pops. Does <laughs> <laughs> he? Okay. Let me tell you, I love that kid, man. And it, it's unfortunate some of the things that he's had to deal with, but if you ever got a chance to just talk to him and feel him out, he is the most given individual. And, you know, him and I talk about that, that you can't be, when I say that to my, you can't be nice to everybody from a standpoint, if somebody wants something, you can't give it to them. And he looked at me and say, Pop, that's who I am. I said, that's the problem. I know that's who you are. <laughs> but, but that's my guy, man. Him and, him and Dwayne is my guy. My other guy now, to be honest with you, <laughs> it's uh, my right guard. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's my that's my guy, Sheriff. They needed it. Yeah, Sheriff and Moses. Sheriff and Moses, and I lost my other guy now. Eric Flowers. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Eric Flowers was my my quiet assassin, man. I mean, he <laughs> would he, he would seek me out. He he found me for Christmas and brought me a gift, man. That's my guy. Really? <laughs> so that, yeah, the see this line. You know, between Moses and Chef and and uh, and Eric Flowers and and and, and Ruben and and Guy, Guy's my little hard head guy. <laughs> Guy's is the guy I got to try to put that. You know, you know when you get the kids out to the mall. Yeah. And and you're walking, you got to put that little stretch band rope on, <laughs> on the arm. You got to keep reeling them in. But but a great guy, man. He he's just a happy go lucky kid with passion and. Unfortunately, the last two years hadn't been kind to him. Hopefully, he can get himself together. 
And Doug, that's why I say all that stuff you just said right there, I think is why this organization was wise to keep you around in some fashion, whether or not it's the role that it should be. It's a role that will, I think that you'll flourish in because of the relationships that you know how to build. And I think that the organization will benefit from that. Thanks, John. Appreciate that, man. I appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing some memories of Bobby and well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we will see you soon. All right, John. I'd like to be saw soon with this craziness going out there. It's tough. <laughs> I, All I, right. Amen to that. After this break, I'll be back with my positivity pod. Just trying to spread a little good cheer, folks. I think we all need it. Welcome back. Now, this is a little different because it has nothing to do with sports, but this is the time we're living in, and it is dramatically different. And there are definitely times it's hard for me to do this, this podcast, write about sports, because of all that's going on in the world. But there's also good being done or things that can make you smile or still feel good. For me, it's been re- about reaching out to family and friends, some friends I hadn't talked to in a while. This period has been extraordinarily busy for me with work, but lately it's kind of reverting to a calmer pace, and that allows me to talk on the phone more. I called one friend a week or so ago. Well, that prompted him to call someone else and then someone else and people that he hadn't talked to in a while, and it just made those people feel good, which makes me feel good. We had a Zoom happy hour with former neighbors. It made my wife and I all feel damn good for the first time in a while. And it wasn't just because of the wine. It was because spending time with people that you don't, that we wouldn't have done otherwise, even if it is on the computer. And then it's about having my middle son home from college, seeing he and my younger son playing games or hearing him play games in the basement, having fun. Sunday, we spent an hour outside. We set up a badminton tent in the backyard. That was a lot of fun. We rarely do that, but man, was it fun. If nothing else, reach out to others, create some memories that that can be positive to help you get through this. And now I wanted to read a few of your submissions about something good that's going on. And most, there's a tone, the, the theme here is about spending time with your family. That, frankly, is a gift. But I want to start with Matt Lewis. He's a husband, father of two, gives back to the community as a youth youth baseball coach. He said he's grateful for starting a trial at the NIH with the hopes that the immunotherapy drugs will help kill his cancer. He said his cancer doesn't spread except for in 1% of the patients. As he said, lucky me. It's a metastatic basal cell. He said his issue is getting his blood levels lined up. Hopefully starting the trial provides hope. That's a good thing. Then there's James Lowe. He's a Redskins fan who I I believe lives in the UK. He recovered from the virus. He said he worked out. He's lost 18 pounds in the last month. I don't think this is the way you want to get to that 18 18 pounds. He was bedridden with a fever for a couple days, had a lot of weakness. Fortunately, he said he did not need to go to the hospital. So yeah, I'd be thankful too. Jeff Colvin hits home with what many said, family time. And here's what he said. Being outside on a gorgeous day, playing blongo ball in the yard with his wife and daughter, the smell of barbecue coming off his smoker. God bless you, Jeff. And the sounds of his, my daughter's laughter at my old school smack talk. That's the good stuff right there. Yes, it is. Kamaya Turner is a principal in Memphis. 
What makes him feel good, he said, is watching his teacher still giving 100% from home to the, to our, as he said, to our students and being able to have more family game nights at home with the wife and kids. Man, what principal, the extra work principals put into throughout the year, going to other kids' events and all that and missing it on family time. So I'm glad that he's got that chance. Bad reason, but it's, but he's certainly appreciating it. Brian Johnson told me about his boss's hobby. She likes to sew and made 80 masks for their local cancer center in Springfield, Illinois, over the weekend for the staff. And Brian, as he said, thought that was really, really great. The cancer center, it's, I mean, it's the Simmons Cancer Institute in Springfield. I think that's awesome. Along those lines, Kevin told me about his mom, about how they, she's in a quilting group in Hilton Head. They have made thousands of masks for people in medical fields and otherwise. So cool. Yes, it is, Kevin. Finally, one of my Twitter followers, followers who is called ATX Pumpkinhead. He said, my wife has been safely delivering for Meals on Wheels lately since her normal job is temporarily shut down. There are lots of elderly, elderly people out there that need help out there. You know what, ATX, that's fantastic. And give her a massive standing ovation from the rest of us. And I, I, I'm just want, like I said, I did this to try and point out some of the good things going on, or at least some of the ways that people are are surviving this this very tough time. Um, you got to hang on to that for now. I hope this helped. Anyway, that's it for this week. A huge thank you to Doug Williams for joining me, and a major thank you to everyone for continuing to listen. Talk to you next time. Stay safe.